In the book of Acts, chapter number 1, Luke is writing, and he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, they were angels, and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the book of Acts is a book of history, and it's a shame that um, we, we leave it in history. It's a historical book, but don't just say that, and don't just believe that. It's a historical book with contemporary reverberations. That means it didn't stop, it didn't end. We're not supposed to thumb through it like we would a study on the Revolutionary War or, or a study of the, the, the 1960s. We're not supposed to just look back and gain some facts and say that was great. What a time that was. Because the time that began in Pentecost, kind of the, the bang of the book of Acts, continues to today. It didn't end at the close of the first century. It didn't end when the apostles faded off the scene. As a matter of fact, what the apostles and the disciples and the followers of Jesus all walked in in the first century is the same exact age we live in right now, and we should have a holy, divine, scripturally soaked expectation that what they believed and experienced then, we should believe and experience now. And I understand the argument, well, Jeff, we don't experience all that they experienced. Well, I think that should provoke us all to ask the question, why not? Why don't we? And that is my intention in the study in the book of Acts, is to reclaim the revelation that God set forth so we can see what the church looks like when the church is walking in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and operating with each other in love. And so where there needs to be some diagnostics in the study, I can tell you the one who doesn't need to be diagnosed, and that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't have to diagnose them to see where they've changed or where they might have gone wrong as to concerning why we aren't experiencing all that we see in the book of Acts. The diagnosis for me needs to go on me. Jeff, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you saying? How are you operating? What are you believing or failed to believing, uh, failed, failing to believe that, that would make my life characteristically different than the lives of those Christians that we see in the book of Acts? 
I'm going to start slowly this morning, but it won't end that way, I can promise you. In the first three verses, we have what I call a, a careful reminder. Remember this, Dr. Luke walked and, and, and ministered and was now writing the Word of God. He is writing a historical document that he intended for someone named Theophilus, maybe an individual, maybe a name representing those that love the brethren. We're not exactly positive, but he's writing a book. He wanted to put down everything that Jesus did. And so he's giving it for revelation, but also for information and inspiration. And so in the first three verses, he rehashes his gospel, the book of Luke in your Bible. And so we see four things about this careful reminder. First of all, he stipulates that Jesus had appeared. It's very simple. It's in, it's in verse number one. We see that Luke's gospel revealed all that Jesus began to both do and teach. Say, so Jeff, what does that involve? Read the gospel of Luke and you'll find out. It is the teaching of Jesus. It is the works of Jesus. It is the manner of Jesus. Jesus revealed in the gospel of Luke primarily as the son of man. But you're going to find that Jesus in his earthly life focused on three primary things in his ministry. Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom. He did not preach, contrary to a lot of our thinking, Ask me into your heart and you'll go to heaven when you die. Did you know Jesus didn't preach that? He preached the kingdom. When he taught us to pray, he said, pray to the Father that the kingdom would come here. And somehow we turned into that. Pray to the Father that he would take us there. And yet the reality is, is that Jesus said, we want you to pray, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that the kingdom of heaven would invade earth. And so he preached the gospel of the kingdom. The second primary thing that Jesus did when he was walking on earth is he demonstrated authority over the demonic and satanic realm. He went about casting out demons, delivering people from the domain of darkness. As he walked on earth for three and a half years, Jesus proved authority over the demonic realm, the realm of darkness, the enemy of God. And he did that by casting out frequently demons and then empowering his disciples to do the same thing while he was still with them. The third thing that Jesus did is he showed himself sovereign over sickness and ailments and injury. So Jesus went about doing three things, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, delivering people from demonization, and, and healing people. Delivering people from demonization, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing people. It's interesting to me that you can have a successful church in the Bible Belt and not do any of those things. Luke wanted to make sure that it was recorded, and he says here in the book of Acts, you know I wrote my gospel so that you would remember everything Jesus taught and did. The second thing. Now, we're going to see that Jesus would ascend. The Bible says, Luke was writing, and he says here, I told you everything that he did in my former writing until the very day that he was taken up. I pondered on this extensively this morning. I just wanted to get my sanctified imagination in gear. And I thought about it. We think of Jesus ascending. And did you know that there are, are indications in the Gospels that Jesus was really, really looking forward to going back to the Father? And even to the extent that he said to the disciples at one point, you guys are so sorrowful because I'm leaving you, but if you really love me, you'd be happy for me because I said I'm going back to the Father. 
There was something in the heart of the son that said, I'm going back home to my Abba. I'm going back home to the father. And in this chapter, you're going to see very in nondescript terms that he does exactly that. And I thought about this. I thought, what was his entrance, his re-entry into the heavenly realm like? I'm sure it wasn't whispered angel to angel. Oh, by the way, did you hear the son came back from earth? He's back today. No, friends, he is the darling of heaven. All of heaven's momentum, all of heaven's atmosphere, all of heaven's activity, all of heaven's worship, we became centrally focused on the Son of God as he entered bodily back into paradise and walked up to the highest pinnacle that could be known in the eternal realm, taking the throne by the right hand of the Father and sitting down there where he rules and reigns today. And then the angels got to say in his physical presence again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and evermore will be. That moment, Jesus ascended back to the throne, leaving the earth, but not leaving the earth as orphans. We'll see that in a moment. Because Jesus had not only ascended, had not only appeared, but he had appointed. In verse number two, the Bible says that he ascended after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now watch this. This is, this is um, instrumental to the book of Acts. When Jesus left, he didn't leave the church without order, without direction, without a mission, without leadership, without purpose, nor without power. So Jesus says to the disciples, and you'll find this especially pinpointedly, in John's gospel, chapter number 20, around verse number 21 and 22, that Jesus, this is before Pentecost, says to the group that is gathered there on the night where Thomas got to see Jesus with his eyes, Jesus breathed on them, breathed on them and said, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. And then he gave them commands about what was going to be taking place. And so Jesus had appointed apostolic leadership. And through those apostles, the word of God would come. And through those apostles, the initiation of the church 2,000 years ago would begin. And through those apostles, we were able to see and learn and understand the message of the gospel, even to the point where now it is encoded and written in our Bibles. And that, that apostolic leadership, so crucial, so important. And Jesus before he ever ascended back to heaven, made sure that the church was in good hands. It's very interesting to me that Jesus entrusted the church to guys like that. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you'll remember that Peter, James, John, and etc., those guys were deeply flawed. Those guys had major issues. Those guys would not have been the men that you would have chosen. Some of us would have said, uh, Peter, why don't you take a back seat? I think Mary Magdalene needs to be the one to come up here and lead us into devotion and mission and purpose. Because the women seem to display a much more sincere and committed devotion to the Son of God. But for whatever reason, Jesus chose flawed people. And I just want to encourage you because he still does. Amen. He still encourages, excuse me, he still uh, recruits and appoints flawed people. And so as we are watching this, he says, I trust you with my mission. I trust you with facilitating the gospel. I entrust to you worship. I entrust to you prayer. I entrust to you love. I entrust to you sacrifice. And I entrust to each of you that will come after my apostles a cross of your own to carry, but I trust you with it. And that is the, the very heartbeat of the church. 
So you go down into verse number three. Luke says this. After his resurrection, Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus wanted to make sure that there was no room for error because the common belief starting almost immediately after his resurrection was that his body was stolen by the disciples, that uh, somebody had done something to present the facade that he had risen from the grave and that actually he was just taken, stolen, reburied, and, the, and the, the, those blindly loyal disciples would create some story that he rose and they would use an empty grave as proof. So Jesus just said, well, enough of that. How about I just show you I'm alive for a month and 10 days? How about I walk with you? How about I eat with you? How about you listen to my sermons? How about some of you touch me? How about, Thomas, go ahead, thrust your hand into my side. Feel the prints in my hands, my nails. It's me, I am alive. And for 40 days, Jesus went about, and the Bible just, Luke, I want to like, Luke, don't, don't just say that. Tell us what they were. By many infallible proofs, Jesus demonstrated to any that would believe, death had no hold on me. I have conquered death. I have taken the enemy's greatest weapon. I have used it against him. By death, I conquered death. And now I am alive forevermore, forevermore. And whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whoever believes in me will never, ever, ever die. And so Jesus said, and if you need some proof, here I am. So Jesus affirmed all that he said. Now, quite honestly, not everybody got it. And as we move through the book of Acts together, you're going to see even among the, the 11 of the remaining original 12, there was a learning curve that, that literally they were out of their comfort zone from the get-go. I mean, we read Pentecost and we, we're shouting and laughing and jumping. We're like, Yeah! But I'm going to tell you something, it it was messed up on that first day because nobody understood it. And sometimes when God is leading us and moving and proving that he's not a dead God trapped in the historical pages of your Bible, but he's a living God, moving, living, breathing, animated, empowering, and manifesting in the present day, it's going to get you out of your comfort zone. He's not going to leave you alone. Now, a lot of churches will, but God will never leave you alone. God is not interested in putting a, yet another layer of cushion on your relationship with him. He, he wants you to sometimes feel the cross, the weight of it, uh, the roughness of it, the intensity of it. And other times he wants you to feel the, the, the fresh air being breathed from one who has just exited a spiritual tomb and is living in the power of resurrection Either way, the Lord wants to affirm to you today, no matter where you are, that he is real and in love, he is coming after you. Yep. See, it's always the women. It's always the women. The guys are like, coming after me for what? What? (laughs) Buddy, he's coming after you. And it's a good thing. He said, Jeff, what what if he wrecks my plans? Well, it's because his are better. Well, what if I have to change my ways? Well, you will. What do you mean, what if? (laughs) It boils down to will you trust him or not? So let's get into verses 4 through 8 because this is what I I see it building. Here comes the calm revolution. The calm revolution. Jesus, first of all, began this revolution as he spoke of a new dependence. Listen, Listen to his words as he is about to ascend. 
the Bible says while, while he was staying with them, he ordered that ragtag group of disciples not to depart from Jerusalem. And circle this if you write in your Bible, but to wait. But to wait. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. We want to rush to Pentecost. We want a revolution in the Spirit. We want the combustibility of a dynamic and a movement of God that awakens and shakes the nations and draws attention to the central truth that Jesus Christ is the living Lord over all. We want that. But I want to tell you something. We're not in Acts chapter 2 yet. We're in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2 is that explosion. Is that unleashing? Is that, that, that revolutionary power where heaven invades earth and the fire comes and the wind comes and the roaring comes and then the church goes? That's all coming in Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 1, listen to the, one of the last things Jesus ever taught the disciples. He said, yeah, I want you to sit still and wait. Is there anything more counterintuitive to zealots than waiting? Some of you have such a deep abiding hunger for Jesus. You know you were made for more. You know that where you are today is, is not that the, the, the final station of the destiny that God has given you. And you know what? You're actually right. But I, I want to submit to you that the power of Pentecost was birthed in the room of waiting. <laughs> the waiting womb. Amen? That's where the power of Pentecost was birthed. It was birthed in a prayer meeting behind closed doors where Jesus had told them, wait, wait, wait. And they could wait. And the reason why is because he said, you're waiting on a promise that the Father gave to be fulfilled. The Father, it was the Father's heart that originated the dynamic of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised it verbally, but it originated in the Father's heart. And Jesus said, I told you about it. The Father promised it. It's coming in a few days. Go to Jerusalem and just wait. It's not our best and most natural activity to wait on God. But I am learning, and I'm not an old guy yet, but I'm older than I used to be, and I am learning that uh, waiting is essential to true moves of God. God, um, let me instruct on this for a minute. The person that cannot wait misses the full blessing of God because that person will wait as long as they've made up their mind they can wait, and when they can wait no longer, they start to make it happen on their own. And they start to exercise their own gifts and their own abilities and their own education and their own industry. By the way, I'm not talking about pagans. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about us. And we say, well, listen, we're very much like Abraham. Abraham was an old dude. And God said, you're going to have a baby. And Abraham waited and waited and waited. And then Abraham said, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to have a baby with Sarah because she's just a little bit younger than me. I, I, I know what God must have meant. Matter of fact, it was Sarah's idea, but Abraham... Not surprisingly said, okay, but it was, hey, what about Hagar, the young, the young lady? And so Abraham couldn't wait. Sarah couldn't wait. They took God's promise and tried to make it happen in their power. 
And for quite a while, it has some pretty intense negative consequences. So we look at this, and the first instruction concerning the birth of the church that Jesus gave was wait. And I just feel just a prophetic weight on this right now, W-E-I-G-H-T. I feel like some of you are, are frustrated, and you're antsy, and you're seeing where you are and how you are right now as an irritant. And you're thinking what a thousand people before you have thought, that a change of scenery, a change of location, a change of relationship, some outward change is going to birth in me the inward vision, and you're wrong. And so I'm going to encourage you as we take what Luke wrote and, and quoted Jesus on. Jesus told the early church, wait, because what I'm about to do can't be entrusted to people that won't wait on me. And so they did wait, hallelujah. We'll celebrate that, Lord willing, next week. What were they waiting on? The promise of the Father. What was that? The coming of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk so much about the baptism of the Holy Spirit next Sunday, but let me reference it to today in verse number five. He spoke of that new dependence. Wait, 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 wait. But he spoke of a new dynamic. What is a new dynamic? John, he said, baptized you with water unto repentance. But you are going, you all, plural, in the Greek, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Now, Jesus had taught them about that before. He, that, that, that was not a brand new revelation. They, they could not say, we've never heard of such a thing. Jesus had never taught it before, but he also understood that he could teach on it ad nauseum, but it wasn't a doctrine to be taught as much as it was a promise to receive, an experience to be immersed in. And so Jesus is telling them, at the back end of your waiting is coming the next thing that the Father has for you. And it's going to be a brand new dynamic. I just want to say this, and I hope it whets your appetite, maybe even compels you to, to pray through it this week. I'm not asking you if you received the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible teaches, Romans chapter 8, that if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Him. If any man have not the Spirit, he is none of his. I learned that in the King James. So I'm not asking you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were saved? What I'm asking you is this. Have you been fully immersed in him? Have you been so totally filled? Have you been arrested? Have you been reshaped? Have you been brought forth out of dimness into the fullness of light? Have you encountered him? I dare say that I believe I was saved Eight years before I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it had nothing to do primarily with tongues. Some of you will tune out because you'll hear that and you'll think I'm automatically assigning it to tongues. It's so much bigger than that. I'm asking you, has there been a revolution in your soul? Have you, have you been brought to that place where you have been wrenched away from this world because you know it's a dying corpse? So you won't live for it, you won't flirt with it, you won't, you won't date it, you won't, you, won't, you, you won't send it flowers, you don't mourn over it when it's sad, and you don't, you don't anchor in it when it's delightful. Why? Because you know it's dead. It's just waiting to be buried. Has God turned the light on in your mind? You ever have one of those switches in your house? You never use it. Every now and then you'll walk through a room and you're like, I wonder if that light bulb's working. You just flip the switch on, off, on, off, and it goes, ding, 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 ding. Some of us are like that spiritually. 
we just won't leave it on and just stand in the light. We turn it off Monday through Saturday. We turn it on Sunday morning on the way to church. Sunday afternoon, about kickoff time, we turn it off again. In and out of darkness. But I'm going to tell you something. There is a, an experience for the people of God. For the people of God. An experience where he turns on the light and removes the switch. It means you don't get to turn it back off because you're changed forever. Now, friends, I'm just asking you. I'm not, I'm, uh, listen, I hope what I'm saying is making you say, hmm, if that's true, I want me some of that. Because it is true. And I dare say, at the risk of sounding critical, many Christians who love the Lord and love the Word of God and love their church and even love doing things in the kingdom, and yet it's so much about doing outwardly and inwardly, the light switch is going on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. When God says, if you'll just surrender completely, I'll turn it on and you'll never have to worry about it going off again. So Jesus is referencing very clearly and specifically what would happen on Pentecost, and we'll deal with that next week. But I want to tell you, I just want you, I I, I pray that you will be so hungry. Just start praying some radical prayers. Lord, I don't know if that little preacher is right or not, but if he's right, I want that. That wouldn't offend me, and it surely won't offend God. Most people that were, were saved and then had a gap between being saved and being fully immersed in the Holy Spirit, most of us went through a season right before that baptism of the Holy Spirit, right before that filling, whatever you want to call it. We had a gap where we were saying, this isn't good enough, Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm sick of doing church. I'm sick of operating in my flesh. I'm sick of the death inwardly. I'm sick of it being in my mind only. I'm sick of not feeling you. I'm sick of watching others rejoice and, and feeling condemned in my soul because I don't have any joy. I don't have any peace. I don't have any power. Lord, I'm sick of it. Most of us went through a season like that, and it's in that season where you, your thirst is cultivated, and the Lord will let you get really thirsty, so thirsty to where you're saying, water in the Spirit. And it's at that point of your highest thirst and your brokenness where those two things intersect that the Holy Spirit says, now, now. And Jesus says, you've waited long enough. Here comes the promise of the Father. Verses 6 through 7, he spoke of a new discipline, a new dependence, a new dynamic, a new discipline. So look at the disciples. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus answers. He says, it's not for you to know. Specifically, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I'm just going to give you this. This is not really germane to all that I'm wanting to say this morning for the sake of time. I'm just going to tell you, here's a discipline. The disciples are still thinking primarily horizontally. These are Jewish disciples. They're looking at their resurrected Messiah. They've been hanging out for, you know, like 40 days, and they're thinking, when's he going to set up the throne? When's he going to bring down Caesar? When's he going to, you know, uh, evict Pilate? When's all this going to happen? So finally, one of them just can't hold it anymore and just says, Hey, Lord, just wondering about that kingdom. The kingdom, you taught us to pray that it would come, and you're here, and you're alive, and and, and are you going to restore right now Israel to glory? Is this the time, Lord? And the Lord just kind of plants a principle that's still active in the church today. This is still activated. We have to walk in this. He says... It's not for you to know. (laughs) Lord, this is really important to me. I need to know what you're going to do. And if you don't know what you're going to do, I have some suggestions. (laughs) Because I'm sure you've never thought that way. 
And he says, and, and, and Lord, how about, when are you going to do what we're really wanting you to do? And the Lord, he doesn't even rebuke him. He just said, yeah, yeah, you can't know that. And friends, that's still part of walking by faith. Part of walking by faith is learning to live with not knowing when, not knowing how, not knowing why. It's a test of our discipleship. It's a discipline. And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes we're cool with it. Well, the Lord's not really showing me the details right now, but, you know, I sense his presence and I sense his calm and, and, and we're good and I can wait and I can wait. And I love it when I'm, when I'm rolling like that. But there are other times, just maybe a season away, where I'm like, yeah, but the Lord's not saying anything to me. So I'll ask Amy, is he saying anything to you? And I'll get Landon, you know, Landon's over there on his Xbox. Landon, is the Lord saying anything? Landon's like, the Lord's saying, leave me alone, weirdo. You know? <laughs> but you'll get so desperate, you'll start asking anybody. And the Lord just wants you to know, hey, hey, calm down. I don't want you to live in anxiousness. You're not going to find out from anybody else because it's not the right time for you to know. And unfortunately, there's even a more intense level where we can rebel against the not knowing. And we can say, well, he's not saying anything. And it's at that moment that we violate that ancient command to never lean to our own understanding. And when God's not speaking and a rebel moment enters in, we just start saying, well, he's not saying much. I, he probably wants me to make something happen. The fact of the matter is it's a discipline to live in the tension of not knowing. By the way, if you knew everything that God was doing, you wouldn't need faith. The just shall live by detailed explanations. The just shall live by a signed document and syllabus telling you everything that's coming up in the next 60 days. You know, we know that that's wrong, but we toil in our souls sometimes when the Lord just looks at us, and we're not talking about restoring the kingdom of Israel because that's, that's not really where most of us stay in our minds, but we're thinking, Lord, what, what are you going to do about this in my life? And I'm talking to faithful Christians who really love the Lord, and the Lord just reserves the right to sometimes tell you, yeah, that's actually not for you to know right now. The Father will work it out when he's ready. So in that moment, what do you do? And it's a test of our faith, and it's a discipline to say, I'll abide. By the way, I'll give you this pastoral nugget, and then I'll move on to the next thing. Um, if God's not speaking to you about what's next, discipline yourself to master what he talked to you about last. The last thing he said to you. If he's not talking to you about the next thing, revisit the last thing and find out, am I giving it? Am I doing it as unto the Lord, not unto men? I meet a lot of people sometimes they are like, man, I know that I'm grateful for this ministry God's given me and this thing I'm doing in the kingdom, but I know I'm made for more. And they start to resent the thing that God gave them last because it's not what God is giving them next. And so they're so focused on the next that they start being really poor stewards of the last thing he gave them. And they're operating under the illusion he's going to give them something new when they're not even being faithful to what he gave them last. And so if we will maintain doing all things as unto the Lord and not unto man, that makes us perfect candidates in God's timing, timing to receive whatever is next. Let me give you the last couple of things. Thank you for being patient this morning. He spoke of a new dawning. Verse number 8 is the launch pad of the rest of the book of Acts. Jesus says, we're not going to tell you when the, the kingdom is going to be restored, but I am going to tell you something to sink your teeth in. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And all of you are going to be my witnesses. And it's going to happen right here in Jerusalem, but it's going to go further. It's going to go to Judea. And believe it or not, disciples, it's going to go all the way out to Samaria and beyond. This is where Jesus starts seasoning their thinking intentionally with, what I am doing is not primarily or solely a a Jewish thing. That, that salvation belongs to the Jews. It stems from the Jews. But, but what a lot of Israelites had a hard time at that time, and especially those that were very committed to, to the Torah and the Old Testament, they, they, would, they would have a hard time recognizing that the kingdom is not simply a Jewish kingdom. That Jesus came to reign over the earth. And that it would involve Gentiles, and they would come from the lands from the east and the west and the north and the south. And in doing so, some of those with blood ties to Abraham who were Jewish in nationality and race, because they had no faith in Jesus as the Messiah, they would be displaced and Gentiles would be grafted in. And Jesus is saying all of this is going to happen through the witness of the church, through the witness of my followers, through the proclamation of who I am and what I am doing and what I'm going to do. And if you'll go to Jerusalem and you'll wait there, The Holy Spirit's going to come and the power is going to hit you. And when that power hits you, you will be immediately witnesses unto me. And is that not what happened in Acts chapter 2? In three Sundays, be here and Pastor Dustin's going to tell you in detail what that looks like. He said, it's going to go beyond Jerusalem. It's going to go into Judea. It's even going to go over into Samaria, a place that would have been foreign to the thinking of most of the Orthodox Hebrews at that time, that the, the message of Jesus is going to the dreaded Samaritans? And Jesus says, oh, I'm going to go further than that. It's going to go to the end of the earth. This is for the Gentiles too. You know what that tells me, by the way? That what dawned on Pentecost, that sun that, sun that rose in those statements in the days following is still shining. That means the gospel is for Everybody. And with all apologies to you that have been sucked into the vortex of hyper-Calvinism, I want to tell you something. The gospel is for anybody. And that means that when we take the gospel to the streets, in our neighborhoods, in our families, when we are operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the most simple witness that comes out of our mouth will have the unction of Almighty God on it, and some will be delivered. Some will be saved. That day has dawned. I thank God for all the technology. Listen, I I propagate the gospel on social media. That's primarily why I use it. We have a TV ministry. We're live streaming right now. We have a Roku ministry. We've got a website. We've got all of that stuff. Let's use whatever we can to continue furthering that witness. But ultimately, it's not about all of our technology because something tells me that in, in the last days when the world is rocked, and upheaval and war and, you know, uh, power grids go out and nobody can Google anything because everything is down, we're still going to have the ability to have roll off our tongue the everlasting words of God and people will believe. So last point, verses 9 through 11, the coming redemption. Here's where I'll say it again. Look at the trust of Jesus. Just This is amazing to me. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. I mean, 
Luke writes like a doctor. He's not, he's not writing like a poet. He's, he's a physician. And he says, Jesus is just talking. And apparently there was no... Dun, 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 dun. It was, it, there was no fanfare. It was he's talking and... And he is absorbed in a glory cloud. And they're all just standing there. They're all looking around. They're probably waiting for act two. It's like, well, he went up. He's going to do something to see what he's going to do. And, and, and so we'll see in a second. The Lord had to send a couple of angels down there to say, <clears throat> you got work to do. The, the point that I want to, to make here is when Jesus ascended, that was an expression again of him saying to the church, both those that were there and those of us that would come much later, he's saying, I trust you. I trust you to not only receive the gospel, but to convey the gospel. Not only to take it in, but to send it out. Not only to die for yourself, uh, die to yourself, but to now live unto me. And so when he left, he knew that the church would not be left as orphans. He knew that we must have the power of God to do the work of God. Please hear me on that. 21st century, technologically advanced American Christians, hear me. It doesn't matter what resources you have if you're not tapped into the source. We talk more about resources than we do the source. We have to have His power. The reason why one of the pillars of Newbridge Church is the necessity of the Holy Spirit is because we are convinced that we can't do God's work without God's presence and power. And we don't want to. We, we want to experience this with Him. We don't want to just do it for Him. We want to do it with Him. And, and I, don't, I don't want to ever live my life like the Lord is on the, in, the, in the stands. And I'm out here scrambling, trying to do all... You're watching what I'm doing, Lord. Watch what I'm about to do for you. Here we go. And I do something. I look up to see if he's over there applauding. That's doing something for him. That's not, he never constructed it that way. He said, hey, it's more like, and forgive the, the, the silliness of this illustration, it's more like the three-legged race. Remember that? This is pre-Atari days for those of you that are millennials. Where... You, you tied your outer leg to the outer leg of the other person and you ran a race and you did it together. It could be awesome or it could be terrible, depending on who you were linked up with. In this case, he doesn't want you living another day trying to get his approval and applause as he sits in the stands because he's not in the stands. He's with you. And, and, and you may think it's semantics, but it's not. He doesn't want you to live for him. He wants you to live with him. And that means you become more and more aware of Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, he lives with you from the inside out. And we can't do that apart from his presence and power. And so one of the reasons why we're going through the book of Acts, and one of the reasons why we, we say a lot about the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit is because Jesus isn't on earth anymore. Jesus left. The promise of the Father was to send the Holy Spirit to continue the exact work that Jesus began. And, and, and friends, it's not about maintaining things until Jesus returns. The Holy Spirit's like, I'm ready to do some things. 
I am doing some things. I'm inviting you to participate with me. And so often I think that we are stuck between the God who was and the God who will be. You know, the the Jesus of the Bible who healed and cast out demons and walked on water and cursed the fig tree and, and, and opened blind eyes and did all this crazy good stuff. Oh, wait, wait, don't get discouraged because he's coming again and he's going to shake the nations and he's going to put down the, the, the devil and the uh, antichrist and the false prophet and the beast. And he's, he's going to, every knee is going to bow and every eye, eye is going to behold and every tongue is going to confess. He's coming again. He was great and he's going to be great. Well, what about now? What about now? You're living now. Well, our assignment is now. And, and so many of us have, have just kind of hanging on. Oh man, I wish I could have been in Jerusalem and when Jesus was alive. And then some of us thinking, oh, and I hope I'm not here when the tribulation comes because I don't want to just Jesus come and take me home. And so we, we're, we're afraid of then and we're missing out on, then, uh, on the previous. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit's like, you know, I'm right here. I'm, I'm actually doing the work that Jesus did in a physical body, I'm doing it through the spiritual body of which you are a part. Y'all are not feeling me this morning. Yeah, I'm just going to let it marinate. The tendency of Christians, verse number 10. Here we go. Kickoff is not till three, so unclench. Here's the tendency of Christians. Remember, Jesus just rose up And we are so much like these guys. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand up looking into heaven? You've all heard all the funny things preachers say about this, but it's still true. I mean, they're they're literally, I don't know how long they stood there. I would have been looking up into heaven. I'm not sure that if he ascended, I would have said, all right, let's go, guys. I would have been just like, what? That's it? You know, what? Jesus! Lord! Hello? And, and I'm sure they were looking at each other and, and they're wondering, what now? And so the Lord just says, what are y'all standing around looking up in the sky for? And the implication is, hey, that moment, that season, the earthly ministry of the Son of Man and the Son of God, that chapter just got closed. It's a brand new dawning. Why are you standing here looking in the sky? Why are you standing around? And I don't even have to apply that. Listen, I, I, I'm not above provoking you a little bit. There are a lot of Christians standing around. There are a lot of Christians that aren't. A lot of Christians are busy. It's almost like we have these three scenarios. Christians standing around. Christians doing something for the Lord while he's in the stands so they can get some applause. But he wants us all to migrate from these two positions into the, I'm going to do it in you, through you, with you. And so I, I just see on the spectrum, all of us can, can migrate a little, a little more in. But if you are standing around, I want to tell you, and I, and I love you, and I, I mean this, that is beneath who you are in Christ. To stand around is, is wrong. To not serve is wrong. Now, you don't have to do everything. And those of you that are serving, when people don't serve in your particular ministry and you get frustrated and you think, well, if they were really sold out, they'd be doing what we were doing. And if they're not doing what we're doing, they're not sold out. Well, you can turn in your sheriff's badge because nobody asked you to patrol their lives. That, that was actually pretty good. 
My point being is this. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to do everything everybody else is doing. But we serve this awesome king. And we serve him now. Not because he needs it. (laughs) Jesus doesn't need anything. But he says that we serve him by serving each other. And he's really into his bride. He really is into his bride. And he, he wants us to take care of one another. And so we serve. And if, and if you're not serving, I don't mind being a pastor here for a moment. Serve here. Serve here. There's a place for you. There's a place for you today. There are unmet needs right here today. If you're watching online, part of the, 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 down, the downfall of live streaming is you get all of the benefits. And, but if you're physically able, it costs you nothing. <laughs> Our live stream audience went from X to just right there, but... <laughs> No, I'm just being serious. Listen, live stream doesn't provide you an opportunity to serve. Some of you are watching because you're physically uh, not, not able to serve, and that's fine, but a lot of people are. And he's worth it. I mean, he's really, really worth it. And the last point, you're going to be happy because I'm out of verses. Here we go. If you're mad, you have to blame it on the Lord because he's the one that was really moving and stretching out the worship service today. It was so good. Verse 11, the truth for today. This is what the angel said. The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again. Will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that is where I just want to end. He is coming again. I mean, really. Let's just see if we can step a little. Lord, help us to step into this right now. Jesus Christ in the same body that lifted off a hillside in Palestine 2,000 years ago and was enveloped in a glory cloud. And physical eyes beheld him physically ascend. He didn't lose that physical body in his session when he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ is in heaven today with a physical, able to be touched and seen and felt, an audible voice. He has hair on his head. He, he has hands. He has nerves. He has senses. He's not a, he's not a ghost. He's not a specter. He's not a, a spirit. He, he has a physical glorified body seated in heaven. And that body is the same body he left planet earth on, uh, on or in 2,000 years ago. And the testimony of scripture is that he will come again physically, visibly, bodily to planet earth and he is going to set up an uncontested dominion in the end it will be uncontested oh listen all of hell is going to fight against him because he's going to set up a literal throne and he's going to rule and reign in jerusalem he's going to set up a kingdom whereby those that are the saints of god are going to be able to rule and reign with him and there's going to be a violent final clashing where, where all of hell comes up against in one final thrust of unholy rebellion against the Son of God. And Jesus is going to send a sword out of his mouth and he's going to devour them like fire and they will never ever be heard from again. And in the eternity that ensues, you and I are going to be worshiping and praising and enjoying all of the fruits that he built. He is coming again. He's coming to this earth. He's going to put all things under his feet. 
And all of the divisions that separate the inhabitants of this planet now, they will be removed because in the end, there will be the king and his subjects, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every race, both genders, coming before the Lord in an equality that has been won to us by grace. And we will be his forevermore. So that is the back of the story. That is why we're singing today. That is why we're worshiping today. That is why we're giving. That's why we're leaving here and going out into the midst of a world where we are viewed as a peculiar people. But it's okay. Because in the end, our identity that we have received by faith here will be established by sight. And we will be like him. Because the Bible says we will see him as he is. I don't know about you. But every moment that I can train my mind on that makes the present moment I'm living in worth it no matter what's going on.